What a journey so far, right? Hasn't this pilgrimage just been amazing? Uh, So many surprises, so many wonderful things going on. And today we are celebrating Sunday Mass, having the same readings that our friends and family members have back at home, all united together in this celebration. In fact, if I'm right, it's about 8.20ish back home, so those who go to an 8 a.m. Mass would be celebrating Mass at the same time as us. But the whole church gathers together on Sunday. The whole church comes together and celebrates the Mass. Sometimes when friends or family members are apart from each other on Sunday or any other day, when they come together at Mass, in a spiritual way, through Christ, we're all being united together. Not only with those who are alive today, but even those of the past. And today, being our time in Assisi, we are in a special way being connected to St. Francis and St. Clair, who regularly went to Mass. In fact, during the second reading, it seemed quite obvious that, um, that Francis and Clare were following what we had heard. If there is any encouragement in Christ, any solace in love, any participation in the Spirit, any compassion and mercy, complete my joy by being of the same mind with the same love, united in heart, thinking one thing. It seems quite clear that that's what Francis and Claire were doing. Maybe not right away in their lives, as we heard in the story of St. Francis. His conversion came more around 24. I mean, he was practicing the faith before that, but the turn and the reception of the gift of the grace of of radical poverty came more like age 24, as we heard when he was in prison and had a year to kind of reflect upon things, to be be able to just pause and spend time with God, to kind of organize his thoughts and focus on what truly matters, the more important things in life. Later on in our second reading, we heard about the humility of Christ, how he came down from heaven and took on the form of a slave, being like us. We are to have the same attitude of Christ, such a profound humility, willing to be in situations where we might have to live in similar simplicity or poverty, letting go of the things of the world that may slow us down from going to heaven. I mean, just think of Saint, uh, Saint Francis. As he's trying to give to the poor, he really upsets his father by selling all the expensive fabrics. And so he recognizes that this current relationship with his father is, is kind of a, a hindrance towards his pursuit of the call that God had for him. I'm sure he still loved his father, but he recognized the need to be able to be free from the expectations of his father, the need to be able to be set free from that that obstacle towards following God. And we can reflect upon what obstacles we may have in our lives too. What may be slowing us down from the pursuit of heaven? What may be causing us to be distracted in our growth and virtue? What may be slowing us down from whatever it is that God may be calling of us? As we heard in our gospel passage, our Lord does call us. He calls us in particular ways. In the parable that Jesus gives us, 
he talks about a father with two sons, and he asks both of them the same thing, to go and work in the vineyard. And yet they give different responses, and they take different actions. The first one saying he's not going to, but then he does. He has this kind of conversion. He has this realization that he really should do what was asked of him, even though initially he said he wasn't going to. And the second son had that initial zeal saying, yeah, I'm going to go, but then for whatever reason, he didn't. Maybe there was something that distracted him. Or maybe he just said what he thought his father expected him to say so his dad would go away so he can keep doing what he wants to do. But the father represents God. And the two sons represent us human beings here on earth. How do we respond to God's promptings? When he asks us to do something, are we slow? Are we sluggish? Do we resist? Do we hesitate before saying yes to the Lord and doing what he asks of us? One of the things that I love about the saints is that usually it takes them a little bit before they actually follow through on what's being asked of them. They may not do it on the first time God prompts them. There may be hesitation or resistance. And I can think even in my own life. It took me eight years from when God first started dropping hints. Hey, maybe you should stop being a nuclear engineer and consider the priesthood before I finally entered seminary. It took me a while. It's very relatable. And so the first son, go in the vineyard. I will not. But then later he changes his mind. I can relate to that. And the second son saying yes, but then not doing it. Sometimes that can be our response too. But Jesus tells this parable because he's trying to prompt those who are listening, the chief priests and the elders, trying to bring about a conversion in their hearts. And he points to, after they correctly answer his question of which one did the Father's will, they said the first, the one who said he wouldn't go but then did go, And Jesus is trying to help them recognize that God is calling them to conversion, that he's calling them to follow him, and yet they don't recognize it. They're they're not following. And he mentions the tax collectors and the prostitutes because God spoke through John the Baptist, telling everybody to repent, telling them to change their ways, telling them to prepare for the coming of the Messiah. And yet the chief priests and the elders, they just kept doing what they do following vainglory, seeking popularity, being selfish. They didn't pursue the way of righteousness. And Jesus goes on to say that after these tax collectors and prostitutes changed their ways, clearly they weren't following God before, but now they are. And yet, the elders and the chief priests, even after seeing the conversion of these individuals, these tax collectors and prostitutes, they still didn't change their minds to believe and to follow. Jesus points them to their error for the purpose of bringing about their conversion. God is is very merciful and kind and loving. He draws us to himself. And sometimes we may think that that's unfair. Maybe that's what the Pharisees were thinking. Maybe they were thinking, well, this isn't fair. Why would tax collectors, people who have betrayed their own people, who are working for the Romans, who are taking more money from their own Jewish community than they should, why should they be forgiven? Why should they be able to have the promise of heaven? That's unfair. Or they may make similar arguments for the prostitutes. And yet in our first reading from Ezekiel, 
God is making it clear that he wants us to convert. That, okay, maybe we did make bad choices in the past. Maybe we didn't do the right thing. But we can change things now with the help of the grace of God. We can live righteously. But he also reminds us that that those who live a good life and then turn away from the good life of righteousness and choose sin, that they must be punished for that. That the past goods are not going to be accepted if their final answer to the question of whether or not they want to be with God forever in heaven is to choose sin over God. But so long as we're alive, we have that opportunity to repent. As long as we are breathing, we have that opportunity to apologize, to seek confession, to allow God to transform us, to change us, to lead us on the right path. And we are on a particular path on this pilgrimage, being a pilgrimage of Eucharistic miracles, being here in Assisi, one of the Eucharistic miracles that Blessed Carlos Acutis, whose body we were able to see, what a blessing that was, right? Here in Assisi, the guy who put together the collection of Eucharistic miracles, without whom we wouldn't have this pilgrimage, uh, to be able to see his body, even though they did touch him up and put wax and things to make him look like he did when he was alive, still being in the presence of his remains is a tremendous and awesome gift. One of the miracles that he mentions in his collection is the miracle here in Assisi. Now, when I first mentioned that to our our escort, Deborah, she was very confused because she didn't think of it as a Eucharistic miracle. And actually, the people of Assisi don't think of it as a Eucharistic miracle either. They consider it the miracle of St. Clair. And maybe you heard it when we talked about it during our tour, but maybe not. But the miracle was that when there was an army attacking the convent, that St. Clair trusted in the Lord and told him that he has to be their protection. And so she took the Lord in the monstrance and she showed him to the invading army who then fled and didn't attack after all. What would make them change their mind? I mean, even if they didn't believe that it was Jesus in the Eucharist, or even if they did believe it was Jesus in the Eucharist, so what? They could just walk right past her and do whatever it is that they intended to do. Destroy the convent or enslave the nuns or whatever it is that they had in mind. And yet instead they turn around and go away? What sense does that make? That's, that's amazing. That's a miracle. And that's one of the things that, that we celebrate, that we recognize. That our Lord is truly present in the Eucharist. That he can do miraculous things for us. That he wants us to stay close to him. He wants us to repent of our sins. He wants us to be filled with his mercy. Of course, if we commit any serious sins, if we commit any mortal sins, we are to go to confession before receiving Holy Communion. But if the sins that we have are just small sins, are venial sins, for example, if we said a little white lie to avoid an awkward conversation, that's still wrong, but it's not a mortal sin. We can still be forgiven of that, not only during the penitential rite of the Mass, but even by receiving Jesus worthily and well in Holy Communion. 
That the love of our Lord and Holy Communion can overcome those little imperfections, those little small minor sins that we have. We can be forgiven of those things. But to receive Holy Communion is also a sign that we are in a state of grace to the best of our acknowledgement. That we are free from any mortal sins as far as we know. It's a sign of being a part of the church. It's a sign of being part of the community. It's a sign of believing all the things that the church teaches. So this is one of the reasons why we restrict Holy Communion to only those who are Catholics in good standing. If we have friends or family members who aren't Catholic, they can come to Mass, they can pray with us, but since they're not Catholic, and to receive Holy Communion is to say that you're Catholic with your actions, they are not to receive Holy Communion. And even Catholics who have gone through the sacraments, if they haven't yet gone to confession and they have mortal sin on their soul, they are to refrain because they're not in a state of grace. And to receive communion is to say that you are not only Catholic and you believe what the church teaches, but you're also in a state of grace. Now, sometimes people also refrain from receiving Holy Communion because they ate something right before Mass and it hasn't been a full hour yet and you're supposed to have an hour before receiving Holy Communion um, just as a way to prepare your heart, your mind, and your soul for the tremendous gift of Christ giving himself to us in Holy Communion that we are to refrain from eating or drinking anything other than water. Um, Medicine is an exception as well. So we have that one-hour fast before Holy Communion. And so sometimes people don't come forward for that reason. Not that they have any mortal sins, but they want to honor what the Church asks of us, of receiving worthily and well, by refraining from receiving if they've eaten anything or had anything to drink other than water prior to Holy Communion. So, Holy Communion is one of the ways that we're a part of the community. Holy Communion is one of the ways that we manifest that reality, but it's also one of the ways that we bring about that reality. We are united with everyone in the church through Jesus, through the grace that he gives us. When we receive Holy Communion, it works a little different than when we eat regular food. When we eat regular food, it becomes a part of us. But when we receive our Lord, we become a part of him ever more fully and completely. We become more a part of the mystical body of Christ because we're receiving the God of the universe, Jesus Christ himself, who loved us so much that he gave up his life on the cross and is still present to us today in the most Holy Eucharist.